Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, February 26th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. New fears of a pandemic as the coronavirus continues to spread. The White House now under fire for what some say is an inadequate response to the outbreak. Democratic candidates for president attacking frontrunner Bernie Sanders at a major debate in South Carolina. But did their efforts pay off? And shock in Mexico after three students and their Uber driver are killed in an execution-style murder. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with the panic over the coronavirus spreading around the world. American health officials warn a pandemic is not a matter of if, but rather when. The Trump administration says the situation is under control, but experts stress the U.S. is not prepared to deal with the health crisis of this magnitude. Lorraine Caceres has the very latest. At least 59 Americans have tested positive for the coronavirus. The CDC asking the public to be prepared for a massive spread. We are asking the American public to work with us to prepare in the expectation that this could be bad. And experts warning a pandemic is imminent. So right now, today, we have a bad epidemic in China. And we have countries that are starting to have community spread which is essentially getting us closer and closer to what you would consider the definition of a pandemic. The government says it could need around 300 million masks and respirators to fight an outbreak, but only has about 30 million on hand. At a 3M plant in South Dakota where the masks are made, they're working around the clock and it's still not enough. And a vaccine is still at least several months away. For now, if there's an outbreak, health officials are recommending Americans work hard to clean surfaces and to distance themselves from crowds. In South Korea, the U.S. military is on high alert after the first U.S. service member tested positive for the virus. That 23-year-old soldier now in self-quarantine at his off-base residence. Italy has confirmed more than 300 cases and at least 11 deaths. Today is Ash Wednesday and in Rome and the Vatican, events are moving forward as planned. The cases are heavily concentrated in the region of Lombardy, where mass has been canceled until further notice and schools, universities and public venues have been closed. At a hotel in Spain's Canary Islands, the doors are chained shut and nearly a thousand tourists there have been ordered to stay in their rooms because an Italian guest is sick with the virus. The virus has now reached South America. Brazil confirming the first case in the continent. A 61-year-old man from Sao Paulo who traveled to Italy this month. Back to you, Andrea. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. And a soldier stationed in South Korea is the first U.S. service member to test positive for coronavirus. The U.S. forces in Korea says he is 23 years old. He was stationed at Camp Carroll but has been moved to Camp Humphrey where he will be monitored in negative pressure isolation. Health officials are tracing his whereabouts to determine if anyone else may have been exposed. And back here in the States, San Francisco in California declared a local emergency over the coronavirus on Tuesday, despite having no cases as U.S. officials urged Americans to prepare for the spread of infections within their communities. California's fourth largest city said it made the move to boost its coronavirus preparedness and raise public awareness of risks 
the virus may spread in that city. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention told the United States yesterday to prepare for community spread after infections surfaced in several more countries. The 14 confirmed U.S. cases of coronavirus have been mostly travel-related, with only two cases of person-to-person -person spread. Meanwhile, President Trump will address the coronavirus outbreak tonight during a press conference with officials from the Centers for Disease Control as Democratic lawmakers slam the Trump administration for its slow response. Janet Rodriguez has all the details from Washington, D.C. Janet. Right, and the president came back from India today trying to deal with the grave concerns from U.S. health officials that this may become a pandemic, that the spread of the coronavirus in U.S. communities is inevitable. But that's not the message that the president wants out in the media. In fact, he blamed uh, two media outlets today for what he says is uh, putting the word out that's not the true to what is happening for making the markets unstable. And he will have a press conference this afternoon, as you said, where we will see a president trying to calm, especially the U.S. markets, the stock markets that they have plummeted in the past two days from this grave after the grave concern that the coronavirus may spread in the U.S. However, that is not what the Congress and the Democrats in Congress want to hear from the president. They're criticizing uh, Mr. Trump for politicizing this coronavirus issue, and they do not seem to be happy with the response from the White House at this point. Here's what Chuck Schumer had to say. It is clear this administration is in total disarray uh, when it comes to the crisis of the coronavirus. Uh, this, at the same time, Larry Kudlow said it's contained and CDC said it's going to spread. The question is when. There is no plan. The administration has no plan. The White House had requested $2.5 billion of emergency funds to deal with the coronavirus. Now, the Democrat Schumer is asking for over $8 billion, four times the amount that the White House had requested originally. He says that that is what is necessary to control the spread of the coronavirus and be able to at least find a vaccine for it here in the U.S. And they continue to fight back and forth as to who is giving the correct response. But we will see a president and we expect to see a president this afternoon trying to calm the rhetoric, calm the markets, because he knows that his re-election campaign could be hurt if the markets continue to plummet. He's running on a strong economy, a strong stock market, and this could hurt him politically in a re-election campaign. So he doesn't want to alarm the public more than it already is. So back to you. Thank you, Janet, from Washington, D.C. Seven candidates took the stage in the South Carolina Democratic debate on Tuesday night as candidates tackled the front runner, Bernie Sanders, while making the case that they would be the best person to take on President Trump in November. 30 years ago, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders felt the heat on stage as the Democratic presidential candidates faced off in Charleston, South Carolina. Bernie and I agree on a lot of things, but I think I would make a better president. Bernie, in fact, hasn't passed much of anything. Imagine spending the better part of 2020 with Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump. I'm hearing my name mentioned a little bit tonight. <laughs> Sanders took attacks from all sides. Things got messy and combative. Do we think health care for all, Pete, 
is some kind of radical communist idea. Do Why we think that? Raising Let's talk about the it. minimum wage I, to I'm a living to wage. The truth that is, named are the things that the American people well, the support talking about by agenda. It, that is why I am beating Trump in virtually every poll that has done and why I will defeat him. Candidates also attempted to appeal to African-American voters. More than 60 percent of the Democratic electorate in South Carolina is black, making the voting bloc crucial for any campaign. It's not just who talks the best, who is actually gets things done. And especially with the African-American community, there have been a lot of broken promises. I intend to win South Carolina and I will win the African-American vote here in South Carolina. <laughs> Biden also ripped into Sanders for recently praising Cuban dictator Fidel Castro's literacy program. This man said that, in fact, he thought it was he did not condemn what that they did. That is untrue, categorically untrue. Authoritarianism of any stripe is bad. But Period. that is different than saying that governments occasionally do things that are good. Look to you, what come on. But Pete Buttigieg with a warning. I am not looking forward to a scenario where it comes down to Donald Trump with his nostalgia for the social order of the 1950s and Bernie Sanders with a nostalgia for the revolutionary politics of the 1960s. And after a disastrous performance in Las Vegas, Michael Bloomberg hoping to make a comeback. I have been training for this job since I stepped on the pile that was still smoldering on 9-11. I know what to do. I've shown I know how to run a country. But quickly coming under attack. I don't care how much money Senate, uh, uh, Mayor Bloomberg has. The core of the, Repu of the Democratic Party will never trust him. This was the last time the candidates will be together on stage before the South Carolina primary and Delegate Rich Super Tuesday next week. According to a CBS News instant poll after last night's debate, Democratic voters who watched said national frontrunner Bernie Sanders impressed them the most of any candidate, followed closely by Joe Biden and then Elizabeth Warren. And for more on that debate, let's go to Lauren Harper. She's a political consultant and formerly served as a South Carolina state director for Beto O'Rourke's campaign. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lauren. Thanks for having me. So, Lauren, what was your biggest takeaway from last night's debate and everything that we saw? Yeah, I believe that Vice President Biden had a great night. Um, he was ready to come on strong for South Carolina. And I think that he was able to show himself as um, a, a person who is worthy of people's votes here who want to consider um, voting for him as their, their candidate. Um, I do believe that others had great nights as well. I think Mayor Pete made a great point when he noted that uh, we're in a very uh, black state here in South Carolina, but only all of them are, are white candidates. And we have to figure out what, are, what is the issue here where we don't have a candidate who has similar ideologies, who is a candidate of color, still on the debate stage. So I think that many people had good nights, but um, I do think they did pretty well. South Carolina Congressman James Clyburn, the highest ranking African-American in Congress, announced he's endorsing Joe Biden. What's your reaction to the news? Um, I, I do believe uh, that should be uh, something that we're not 
totally surprised by because Congressman Clyburn and Vice President Biden have had a very long lasting, strong relationship um, over the past several decades. Um, we were speaking, uh, we saw Vice President Biden after the debate and someone from the Young Dems was like, yeah, I'm a Clyburn fellow, which is a program for uh, young Democrats in the state. And um, Vice President Biden said, I'm a Clyburn fellow too, uh, because they do have a good relationship. So it was really uh, interesting to see that Congressman Clyburn did continue on to support Vice President Biden, but um, uh, not surprising. Vice President Joe Biden is really banking on that African-American vote in South Carolina. How is he polling right now with that demographic? What can you tell us about that? He's polling well, and I, I do believe that he has strong support here, whether you're going to events or even at the debate last night. Um, he has a lot of support in the black community here in South Carolina. I do believe he's going to do well, and I do believe that um, he's going to uh, probably win uh, South Carolina. But I will say folks like Tom Steyer have been putting in a lot of work um, over the past several months. Um, his wife, Kat Taylor, was speaking at a spouse's luncheon yesterday for the South Carolina Democratic Party and talking about her investment in South Carolina, living in Columbia. So I do believe that um, uh, Tom Steyer will get a portion of the black vote as well, but I don't know if it will be enough to um, defeat uh, Vice President Biden. Well, let's go ahead and continue talking about Tom Steyer. He's actually polling high in South Carolina. How do you think he performed in that debate? I think he had a good night. I think he was good to, uh, he was able to articulate well his points about um, whether or not he believes democratic socialism will work, which he doesn't. Um, and he was able to articulate that well. He also had really great closing remarks about um, why he believes that he's a strong candidate and um, what he is in the debate in the candidacy for um, believing that he wants to run a, a race with integrity and be true to his moral values. So I think those messages resonate well um, with uh, voters across the state, um, black and white voters. Um, and I think that he had a, um, a good night as well. And just to finalize, we're just a few days away from the state's primary. Do you think last night's debate will help any undecided voters actually make up their minds? I sure hope so. Um, I do believe that I was actually in a lift ride after the debate and my driver was an African-American woman and uh, she was still undecided, to be honest. So I, I think that there are a lot of folks who were going into the debate with their favorite. And if they had a, a good night with their favorite, maybe they were going to go with that person. But I think it's possible that people will get to the ballot box um, on Saturday and make a final decision and just have to go with it. Well, that'll be interesting. We will be watching and waiting for those results. Thanks so much, Lauren Harper, for joining us and have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me. And also don't forget, Univision and CNN will broadcast a debate among the Democratic presidential hopefuls on March 15th from Phoenix, Arizona. That debate just two days before the primary election in that state where the Hispanic vote will be crucial. And last year, the U.S. government detained a record number of underage immigrants who were trying to cross the border. Because of their age, they are all mandated to attend psychological counseling. But a new report found that the notes taken in those sessions, which are supposed to be confidential, are actually being shared with immigration officials and used against these minors to deny their asylum cases. Let's bring in Hannah Dreer. She's reported that story for The Washington Post and will join us to talk more about the situation. Thanks so much for joining us today, Hannah. Glad to be here. Hannah, so you followed the case of 19-year-old, a man from Central America, Kevin Eusieda. He's been detained for three years. A federal judge granted him asylum, yet he's still in detention. Can you tell us more about this case and why he can't go free? 
So Kevin Yuseda came to this country when he was 17. And as you said, all children who come to this country have to go to migrant child shelters where they're required to speak to therapists. So Kevin spoke to a therapist. He told her all about his life in Honduras, about being forcibly recruited into a gang. She said everything would be confidential. And he walked out feeling much better, feeling lighter for having talked to someone. And then everything he said was turned over to ICE and used against him. Now, this practice of sharing notes from therapy sessions is technically legal, but why is it so problematic? Well, what groups like the American Psychological Association and the American Counseling Association say is that it's essential that therapy be confidential. It's part of the therapeutic relationship to be able to have trust with your therapist that you can say almost anything and that will stay private. And when notes are being used like this by ICE, it breaks the trust between a therapist and a child and makes it so that these really traumatized kids don't have anybody that they can confide in. Are therapists consenting to the sharing of these notes? You know, when I started this reporting, I thought these therapists probably had made a bargain with themselves or had justified this to themselves. But actually, almost all of the therapists I talked to had no idea that their notes were being used this way. They were writing their notes. They thought they were doing the right thing. And then without their consent, those notes were being shared with ICE. Underage detainees are mandated to attend therapy sessions going back to a court order in the late 1990s. Now, the intention was to support these children in detentions, as you actually reported. But when did that mission, that intention change? Right. So almost all of the children who come across the border alone or are separated from their families have some kind of complex trauma in their past from their home country or from the journey. And so the idea was, let's support these kids. Let's give them mental health counseling to help them stabilize while they're in detention, essentially. And it wasn't until 2017 that that mission really started to change. And the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which oversees all of the child shelters, put into place new requirements that said that those therapy notes had to be shared with ICE if a kid talked about gangs or drugs or any sort of criminal activity in their home country. Now, before you go, let's talk again about the young man that you followed in your story. What's next for Kevin Oceda? So Kevin Yuseda is in this very strange position where he has been certified as a victim of human trafficking by one part of the government. And then another part of the government, ICE, is working to deport him. And he was on the verge of self-deporting when the story ran. But he's been very touched by all of the people who have reached out to him and written him to encourage him to stay and fight. And so he is appealing his case and he's going to try to win his asylum. Well, thank you so much, Hannah Dreer from The Washington Post. We'll be following up with you on that. Thanks for having me. And after denying it for several months, Spanish opera star Placido Domingo has now accepted full responsibility for the sexual harassment complaints against him that they were filed by several women. The 79-year-old tenor apologized and said it was never his intention to make anyone feel bad. Jaime Garcia reports. Facing allegations that made headlines in the opera world last year, opera icon Placido Domingo broke his silence in a written statement saying, I have taken time over the last several months to reflect on the allegations that various colleagues of me have made against me. I respect that these women finally felt comfortable enough to speak out, and I want them to know that I'm truly sorry for the hurt that I caused them.
I accept full responsibility for my actions, and I have grown from this experience. I find it very brave the fact that he's accepting total responsibility of his actions that could have resulted in the harm to some women. The written declaration was issued at the same time that the union that represents opera singers released a statement that their investigation, which began six months ago, concluded that Placido Domingo had in fact engaged in inappropriate activity ranging from filtration to sexual advances in and outside of the workplace. The investigation included interview with 55 people, of which 27, a little more than 50%, recognize a pattern of sexual harassment and abuse of power that is very different to rape. The New York Times revealed that the written declaration by the Spanish singer happened after the musician union supposedly by a confidentiality agreement with the Spanish tenors lawyers who apparently agreed to pay half a million dollars in exchange for keeping confidential the results of the investigation. A Spanish newspaper El País revealed the results of the investigation with the headline, The End of Placido Domingo's Legend. Where does the legend end? Because the singer continues to exist, and while here, he has been condemned and has to resign his jobs in Washington and in Los Angeles. In Europe, he continues to be applauded during each of his performances. In the meantime, Los Angeles opera that was directed by Placido Domingo continues to inquire about the allegations against the singer that start in the last month of August. In Los Angeles, Jaime Garcia, U News. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. They were medical students with dreams of practicing and helping others, but after attending a local music festival in Mexico, those students and their Uber driver were found dead. Nidia Cavazos has more on this tragic story. We are students, we save lives. It's impossible to believe that they're taking our lives every day. These are the protests after three young people and an Uber driver were killed when they were returning from Carnival. It's not possible for my friend, for those who died. We need justice in this country. Kevin asks for justice and cries for the death of his friends, who were medical students from Colombia, part of an exchange program. These are the images of students stopping the Uber. They got into the vehicle but never reached their destination. The mother of one of them tracked her child from Colombia by his phone's GPS, and then she saw that he didn't respond to her. She called his friends, who notified Mexican authorities. I was following him by GPS, and they never left the area. I was calling him, and he didn't answer. She came from Bogotá, Colombia today to meet with the other parents of the victims who remain in this coroner's office facility. I wouldn't know what to say. People going through this process are very shocked. The families are accompanied by authorities from the university where the victims were studying. 
They're trying to speed up the process for getting their bodies released. The families are here with us already. And what's their main concern? Now it's just to finish with the process. Authorities are investigating several scenarios of what happened and they've already detained suspects. We arrested three people. The universities where the victims were studying issued statements regretting what happened. In Puebla, Ivan Macias for U News, this is Nidia Cavazos. Elsewhere in Latin America, 14 people were killed and 97 were wounded in three separate accidents involving passenger buses in the southern region of Arequipa, Peru, on Monday. Authorities are now investigating the cause of those crashes. According to the most recent official data, about 3,300 people died in 2018 across Peru in traffic accidents. In neighboring Colombia, sobering numbers highlighting the regional crisis caused by the situation in Venezuela. More than 1,700,000 Venezuelans are now based in Colombia, according to the Colombian government. Officials there saying that 58% of Venezuelans currently in that country are undocumented. And a concert for democracy will be held this Thursday during the Dominican Republic's Independence Day. The concert, which has been dubbed Trabucaso 2020, will take place in the Plaza de la Bandera in Santo Domingo. The goal, organizers say, is to demand transparency for the March 15th elections. Dominicans have been protesting all over the world after a glitch in election systems suspended municipal elections across that country last week. Government officials have asked the Organization of American States to investigate the failure of the electronic voting system. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.